Hey everybody, welcome back to the Single Tracks Podcast. Today's show, we've got three stories for you. The first one is called Seven Life Lessons from Mountain Bike Pain. We're also going to talk about some of the new Garmin GPS units. These are really tiny new cycling GPS units you're going to want to hear about. We've also got a Midwest trip report from John Fish, one of our regular contributors. This first story is titled Seven Life Lessons from Mountain Biking Pain, and it's by Mike Brissick. Mike is actually the founder of Sacred Rides, which is a mountain bike tour company based out of Canada. He's the founder and chief happiness officer, and National Geographic magazine actually rated Sacred Rides as the number one mountain bike tour company on earth. So Mike has ridden a lot of places. And so this is his story about seven life lessons from mountain bike pain. It's 4 p.m. somewhere in the wilds of La Campana National Park in Chile. I'm with three other people struggling up a steep mountain road on the seat of my suddenly way too heavy mountain bike. We're climbing in our smallest chain rings to the summit of Cerro El Roble en route to what my friend Pancho has promised us is an epic downhill. The downhill is far from my mind as I gasp for breath in the thin mountain air. In the distance, Mount Aconagua, the America's highest peak, laughs at my small misfortune. Every fiber of my being is screaming in pain. This is one of the steepest climbs I've ever tackled on my mountain bike. Already grinding for 45 minutes, we're still just barely past the halfway point on the climb. We're racing the sun in the daylight, so there's no time to stop and rest. No option to dismount and walk my steed up the steep gravel. I want to get off my bike. I want to throw it off the side of the road. I want to turn around and head back to the van. Also not an option. It left to meet us on the other side of the mountain. I want to lie down and stop the pain. Yet I must soldier on, and upward, and through the pain. After another 15 minutes, I fall into a quiet rhythm. Pain is ongoing, constant companion, alternately cycling through my lungs, legs, and emotions. But I've made an uneasy peace with it. I have accepted its presence, allowed it its space in my life rather than struggling against it. This has lessened the pain's amplitude to some small degree. As I near the summit, a mental game ensues. With the goal close at hand, my legs have decided to pack it in early. I engage in a battle of words with my legs to keep them from quitting on me. A few agonizing minutes later, and I'm on the summit. Spectacular views of the coast range fill the westerly view, while to the west, Aconagua nods in acquiescence to my winning battle with pain. The searing pain of just a few minutes ago becomes a distant memory as we race down the single track in the fading sunlight. At the bottom, we load into the van and drive to our hotel on the coast. I gaze out the window as the foreign scenery races by and reflect on the intense battle I've endured against my pain. I've always seen mountain biking as a metaphor for my life, but I'd never thought so much about pain. Now looking back on that climb and the many thousands of times I've endured pain, both the pain of a hard climb and the pain of a hard wipeout on my mountain bike, I think about how that pain has shaped me and helped me grow. So here are seven ways that mountain bike pain teaches us life lessons. Number one, pain forces us to confront our limits. Pain brings us face-to-face with truth, with the essential reality of our situation and station in life. On my mountain bike, the pain of a tough climb is a reminder that I'm no longer 20, that I'm not an Olympic athlete. When I overstep my limits on an overly steep section of trail, an overly skinny skinny, or a drop that's just a bit too high, I'm usually brought back to earth, literally hard, and reminded to respect my limits. Likewise, in life, pain is a wake-up call to remind us that we may have strayed from our authentic life, that we may be pushing ourselves too hard, that we must reset our course. Number two, pain teaches us how to stretch our limits. As we encounter our limits, we also learn how to push and stretch those self-same limits. By learning the extent of our abilities, we also learn how much farther we can push ourselves and the course to take to get there. Without reaching our limits, we cannot possibly learn how to exceed them. Number three, 
How we deal with physical pain is a metaphor for how we deal with pain in other areas of our life. How we approach pain during our mountain bike rides is often reflected in our approach to life. Do you quit when the climb gets a little tough? Do you back down from trail challenges? Typically, our approach to pain on a mountain bike reflects our approach to pain and challenge in our lives. I taught mountain biking classes in the Don Valley of Toronto for many years. I particularly loved teaching beginners. They typically came into the class timid and afraid. Then over the course of six weeks, they would learn how to tackle difficult trail features with confidence. The transformation was often remarkable. This confidence often spilled over into other areas of their lives, and I frequently received letters and emails telling me how this newfound confidence led to a new job, a new relationship, or new opportunities. Number four, pain, when properly applied, makes us stronger. It's become cliche to quote Nietzsche's famous aphorism, that which does not kill us makes us stronger, but it's a cliche that stands the test of time because of its essential truth. Much like a muscle grows when it is subject to the proper stress, healing slightly stronger when it's torn via the right exercises. In life, we must grow during our times of greatest difficulty. Enduring pain on my mountain bike makes me a better mountain biker. Whether it's the pain of pushing myself to complete a climb that I've never cleaned before, or the pain of wiping out because I tried a new feature that I've never tried before. That pain is a guide to my becoming stronger on my mountain bike, up to a point, of course. Number five, facing pain head-on reminds us that pain, like joy, is only temporary. When we're in the middle of an intense climb and our legs and lungs are screaming for oxygen, the pain consumes our entire existence. We lose sight of the temporal nature of pain and become temporarily blind, feeling as if it'll last forever. Yet the minute we reach the top of the climb, the pain subsides almost immediately. It's a good lesson in reminding ourselves of the fleeting nature of pain and other sensations that we often fall prey to believing are permanent. Lance Armstrong famously said, Pain is temporary. It may last a minute or an hour or a day or a year but eventually it will subside and something else will take its place. If I quit, however, it lasts forever. Number six, with enough practice, you can completely detach from your pain. In my early 30s, I attended a 10-day Vipassana silent meditation retreat. It's an intense experience that involves 4.30 a.m. wake-ups and full days of doing nothing but meditating. Sitting cross-legged all day invokes searing pain throughout one's bodies. In Vipassana meditation, we learn how to become a neutral third-party observer to our pain. It's not easy, but after about eight days, I was able to almost completely detach from my pain and observe it from the outside looking in, instead of feeling the pain as central to my existence. In a strange way, I almost enjoyed the pain and its value as my teacher. With enough practice, I'm able to apply the same approach to pain while on my mountain bike. As I grind my way up a tough climb and the pain becomes more and more intense, I'm able to reflect, hey, there's some pain, interesting, instead of, I'm in a lot of pain, I must make it stop. It's a subtle distinction and not an easy one to practice or explain, but whenever I can detach from pain this way and simply observe it, it makes the experience of the pain much more endurable and allows me to push myself harder. Finally, number seven, after pain, there is joy. After every lung-searing climb on my mountain bike, there's always joy, the joy of the summit views, the joy of an amazing downhill, or even the simple joy of the cessation of pain. That joy is made much more powerful because of the suffering I endured to get there. Likewise in life, my joys are made more potent because of the hardship I endured, either intentional through hard work or unintentional because of unforeseen life circumstances. So that story really resonated with a lot of our readers and a lot of people shared uh, their own stories and experiences with pain, which was cool. So next up, we have uh, some news about the new Garmin Edge 20 and 25 GPS cycling computers. So these new GPS units are super tiny. They're only about an inch and a half by an inch and a half, which Garmin claims makes it the world's smallest 
GPS bike computer. We didn't see these tiny GPS units on display at Interbike, which is a shame because I would have loved to hold one of these tiny Garmin Edge units in person. The new Garmin Edge 20 and 25 GPS units are standalone devices that track basic stats like time, distance, speed, elevation gain, and location. The best part is they weigh just 25 grams. The new Edge units are also said to include navigation capabilities, so you can follow tracks downloaded from Single Tracks and the Garmin Connect online community. The maps are super basic because the Edge only offers a tiny black and white screen, but they should still work pretty well for navigating on the trail. Both the Edge 20 and 25 include GPS and GLONASS receivers for maximum accuracy, even in places where cell phone signals dare not tread. So GLONASS is actually a network of Russian satellites uh, that work similarly to GPS. So a lot of the new units from Garmin and other manufacturers are utilizing both GPS and GLONASS for improved accuracy and quicker satellite lock times. The Edge 25 adds wireless capabilities to connect to a smartphone for more detailed maps on your smartphone, live tracking, and easy ride data sharing. Both units are simple to install, they're lightweight and super affordable. The Edge 20 retails for just $129, while the Edge 25 is just a few dollars more at $169. Both units are currently available for purchase at Garmin.com. Finally, we have a story from John Fish about mountain biking in the Midwest. John's been contributing to single tracks for a while, and according to our ride tracker, he's ridden more mountain bike trails than anyone else on the website, currently with more than 550 mountain bike trails all over the country. He recently got a chance to head up to the Midwest and check out some of the trails up there, and this is his story. With all the news of recent or pending losses of access to Blue Ribbon Trails, it's great to learn of all the grassroots efforts to provide people quality riding opportunities, especially in less populated areas where small but dedicated bands of locals work tirelessly to secure access and subsequently build and maintain quality trails. These trails provide local residents the opportunity to enjoy our sport without having to commit the time and dollars necessary to travel to more established cycling destinations. And while these trail systems may not be as grand as the likes of 18 Road or Solly, the locals are rightfully proud of them and love to share their creations with any interested passerby. On a recent trip through the upper Midwest, I was fortunate enough to have the time to explore a few such trails and found it to be a marvelous experience. Mixed in among the now widely known destinations like Copper Harbor, South Marquette, Camba, and Cuyuna were a handful of unknown, one-of-a-kind trails in places few other than those who live there would seek out. I left most with a big smile on my face, significantly enriched by both the riding experience itself as well as the shared love and camaraderie I enjoyed with the locals who built and maintained these unknown gyms. The first of these I hit was the Moville Maze Trail just north of Bemidji, Minnesota. Bemidji has a strong outdoor flavor to it, but is overwhelmingly fishing related. Certainly the freshwater fishing in northern Minnesota is among the best in the world, but thanks to some newfound local diversity, the North Country isn't just for fishing anymore. I was fortunate to make contact with North Cycle Wrench Jerry Smith, who gave me the tour of Bemidji's best bike venue. A Copper Harbor veteran, Jerry has been heavily involved in helping Bemidji raise its non-motorized off-road quotient, and Mobile Maze, largely built by Tom Damon, is a centerpiece of those efforts. While Bemidji doesn't have the natural assets to be the next Copper Harbor, the locals have done a stellar job making the best of what they have, and the labor of love shows in a fast, flowy, and well-maintained trail system that is a positive joy to ride thanks to securing access to and developing one of the area's many cross-country ski systems. Rather than most cross-country ski areas turned bike route in the summer, the bike trail is independent of the ski trails and it rides like the purpose-built bike trail that it is, just coincidentally lying on the same property as the ski trails. After getting acquainted in the parking lot, 
Jerry and riding buddy slash fellow trail advocate Corey Bushi blazed out onto their trail, and I had to use every bit of cornering skill and burst of speed I could muster just to keep them in my sights. Despite worrying about holding them back, I found the trail to be hugely inviting and the deep, dark north woods were gorgeous. There's really only one significant climb to speak of, and even that was nothing like the climbs I face at home in Colorado. But elevation was gained, and in a rather entertaining way. The trail is exceptionally well designed to make that elevation gain just as strenuous as you would like, allowing the rider to adjust the pain level with the pace. All that easy or more difficult climbing carefully stores up what vertical relief the area has to offer for an excellent downhill finish. To top things off near the finish is a modest but well-rounded skills park complete with a jump line, pump track, and two serious hucks. At the end of the day, I was quite pleased to have spent the first part of my journey through our north country in Bemidji. After touring much of the upper Midwest, including multi-day non-cycling trips in Voyagers National Park and the Boundary Waters Canoe Wilderness Area, topped off by stops at all the area's big-name venues, I bookended the trip back in northern Minnesota with a stop at the Maple Hill Trail System, just south of the rough-hewn mining town of Hibbing. Hibbing is home to one of the world's largest open pit mines, measuring fully one and a half miles across and three and a half miles wide. The town's history is steeped in mining, and it sees little of the outdoor tourism that most other Minnesota towns receive. But like Bemidji, a dedicated group of local cyclists has been working hard to provide cycling opportunities to their residents and the lucky mountain bike visitors to the area. I originally stopped at Maple Hill because it was conveniently on my way, not because of any reputation it has as a great trail. Having no expectations going in, I was pleasantly surprised, even a little shocked, at the fun this trail divvied up. Local trail advocate and builder Jeremy Lind explained that the trail had just received a visit from the Emba Trail Care crew, and I was enjoying some of the results. Maple Hill had both elements of its original construction and a slightly more modern Emba flavor, making for a wonderfully diverse ride in a fairly compact area. Along with the Emba Trail Care crew, Jeremy, his brother Matt, fellow local Bruce Wally, and others have put a lot of sweat equity into turning these bigger-than-I-expected hills into a ripping good place to ride a bike. But their organization, the Iron Range Off-Road Cyclists, isn't stopping there. I got word, unfortunately too late to fit into my trip, of a supposedly equally outstanding riding area called Lookout Mountain outside the nearby town of Virginia, largely built by IROC cyclists Frank Rourke and Eric Carlson. Well, that just further solidified my desire to go back, a phenomenon I experience on almost every trip upon learning of all the goodies I didn't have time to explore. I hadn't expected to experience this phenomenon on this trip, thinking I'd get my fill of the limited opportunities there, but people like Jerry Smith, Jeremy Lind, and many others like them have proven otherwise, all the while smashing my prejudices about Midwest riding. Finally, I found the Windman Trail outside the Manitowish Waters, Wisconsin, to be equally entertaining. What was most amazing there was that, even when pulling into the parking lot on a perfect weather weekend, there was only one other vehicle there, which was gone by the time I returned. In an hour and a half of riding, I never saw another soul, so I had this very remote feeling, exceptionally well-designed and hugely fun trail system all to myself. Windman has a nice smattering of natural features incorporated into the trail, but usually with a ride around, making it the perfect place for growing cyclists to up their skills in a non-threatening environment. It would also make a great trail for riders of mixed abilities to ride together. Unfortunately, I was unable to hook up with any Manitowish locals, so I didn't get the story behind the trails. But I can attest that whatever led to it, the result is superb. My overall takeaway from this trip is that anywhere there are people who love to turn cranks and are willing to put forth the effort, there can be great mountain bike trails. While we may all want to make those classic pilgrimages to Moab, Bend, or Crested Butte, we need great trails at home to keep the fire alive, whether we plan to travel or not. 
And while the common scenario is for Midwesterners to head to the Rockies or the desert southwest, I, as a Coloradoan, had an equally satisfying time reversing the usual path and enjoying the variety my Midwestern brethren had laid out. Thanks to Jeremy, Jerry, and all others like them. So that's it for this episode. Check back tomorrow for Helena's three-part series on her mountain bike road trip from Pennsylvania to Colorado.